Welcome to another episode of the EU Roundup. Hope you're all doing well. We're here as ever, bringing you last week's most notable news from around Europe. In this week's episode, we'll take a look at the recent scandal involving a member of the Hungarian Fidesz party. The prominent politician was identified at a lockdown-defying sex party in Brussels. Poland and Hungary continue to block the EU budget, but there are some indications of a resolution. We'll also have a quick round of news from last week, But first, we turn our attention to EU Commission President von der Leyen's first year on the job, a feat which she completed recently. In no other place in the world will you find such an amazing set of rights and freedoms, from gender equality to the protection of personal data. Es lebe Europa, vive l'Europe, long live Europe. That was EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen's speech during the undertaking of commissioners at the start of her mandate. She recently marked one year in her position. Day one on the job for her was the 1st of December 2019. And it is safe to say that a lot has happened since then. A health crisis causing an economic one and tensions among member states were just some of the challenges. But let's start at the very beginning of the von der Leyen Commission. Her aims for the five years of her mandate were clear. Climate change and the digitalization of the economy were clearly at the top of her agenda. That is before a certain global pandemic shifted the EU's immediate priorities. During the first 100 days of the new commission, there was indeed a lot of focus on climate. The flagship project, the European Green Deal, was presented right at the start. It set up ambitious goals such as turning Europe into the world's first climate-neutral continent, by 2050. It incorporated plans to cut pollution, protect biodiversity, while also transforming the economy. The Commission also unveiled the Shaping Europe's Digital Future Strategy, focusing on cybersecurity and digital education. Installing 5G networks in the EU and ensuring their security has been a key target all along. These new, proactive and forward-thinking policies set the Commission on a good track. Until right after the 100-day mark was passed and the coronavirus pandemic hit Europe. In the first few weeks, von der Leyen's team struggled as national governments refused to cooperate. This initial reaction definitely reflected poorly on the bloc's ability to act as a unit during a crisis. We can see that in the shortage of masks in certain countries, while others refused to lend a hand. And most of all, in the lack of coordination in imposing measures, border closures and travel restrictions. Little by little, the COVID restrictions became more consistent. Then, it was time to think of the economic repercussions. A Germany and France joint decision to cooperate on economic recovery helped to promote the idea of a common response. What followed was the EU Commission's biggest victory, the Coronavirus Economic Recovery Fund, inserted in the EU budget. The landmark agreement reached over the summer showed the bloc's potential to be better than the sum of its parts. It seems like orchestrating this move ahead of time will pay back in speeding up the economic recovery of the continent. Although the recently introduced rule of law mechanism has complicated things a little bit, 
but if it pans out, then this budget might be regarded as a pivotal moment in this period of EU's history. There was no shortage of scandals either, with Irish Trade Commissioner Phil Hogan losing his job in the summer after ignoring Covid regulations in his home country. Von der Leyen ultimately made the right decision in the public's eye by not standing on the side of the Irish Commissioner, which led to him handing in his resignation. 2020 has been a year of unpredictabilities, and the von der Leyen Commission has, if not thrived, then at least fared very well under pressure. We can look to the following years to see if the President will be able to steer her Commission to reach the climate and digitalization goals, which were slightly pushed back in light of recent events. Without a doubt, the most shocking story from last week was the one involving Josef Sayer. The Hungarian member of European Parliament was identified among the participants of a lockdown-defying sex party in Brussels. The party was an all-men's affair, which put Sire in an uncomfortable position. Not only because he's one of the founders of Fidesz, the Hungarian populist party accused of stigmatizing the LGBTI community, Sire is the man behind the controversial 2011 Hungarian constitution, a passage of which states that the institution of marriage is strictly the union between a man and a woman. This year, a law banned transgender and intersex people from changing their gender, while same-sex couples in Hungary could lose their right to adopt if a recent government proposal goes through. The ideology of the Fidesz party has taken the country very much in this anti-LGBTI direction, and Sire has remained close to the man in the driver's seat, Prime Minister Viktor Orban. That is, until the scandal in Brussels last week. Orban was faced with a decision which he did not hesitate over for too long. He parted ways with Sire, who's been a close ally of his for the last 30 years. Orban stated that what Sire did had no place in the values of their political family, calling his acts and his deeds unacceptable and indefensible. In the early years of the Fidesz party, Sire's sexual orientation was a subject of discussion within the party. Apparently, members of the political organization were aware, but considered it a personal matter. However, now that more sensationalist details of last week's sex party in Brussels made the news, Fidesz could no longer afford to be affiliated with Sire. This puts forward the disparity between the policies of the Hungarian party and what goes on behind the scenes. It goes to prove somewhat the motivations of the party which seem to be aligned with having a grip on power, as well as marginalizing certain communities in order to exercise control over the population more easily. Josef Sayer announced he will resign from the European Parliament, but did not mention the lockdown party. It is not acceptable that anybody, especially those who inherited inherited the rule of law, criticize us, the freedom fighters, who came from a very difficult period of communist times and did a lot against the communist regime in favor of rule of law. So nobody can educate the nation of Solidarność or the nation of the 56th revolution. It's unacceptable. So we made it very, very clear. That was Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban voicing his opinion on the rule of law back in July. His stance on the issue hasn't changed much since then. The EU budget, including a vital coronavirus economic recovery package, continues to be blocked by Hungary and Poland. The two countries claim to have each other's backs and are negotiating with EU officials.
However, there have been some indications by Poland that a breakthrough could be found. Polish Deputy Prime Minister Jarosław Gowin told reporters that Warsaw could accept a binding declaration. It will have to clarify how Brussels would use the rule of law conditionality mechanism with regards to the budget funds. The Polish politician also stated that an approval by all of the EU's 27 heads of state and government would be needed. This indicates that Poland could be willing to accept the rule of law requirements if they have some assurance that funds will be injected in the country's economy. This comes after the European Commission warned it was ready to create a new coronavirus recovery fund without the support of Warsaw and Budapest. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban is sticking to his guns for now. He stated that a possible compromise on the rule of law will not work. He insisted that the issues of funding and the rule of law have to be separated. The European Parliament, on the other hand, will not approve the budget without the rule of law mechanism. This is also largely supported by EU heads of state, which means that the situation is still 25 against 2, and the standoff continues. And now here's a quick round of news from last week. Brexit negotiations are in the final stretch. Progress was made late on Sunday evening, and EU sources say that terms on the rights of European fleets to fish in UK waters are nearly finalised. However, Brussels wants to have the right to impose British exports with tariffs if the UK does not follow the EU's updates to its regulations. UK sources say that negotiations would collapse unless that demand was dropped within the next 48 hours. Albania has joined the European Agency for Fundamental Rights, also known as the FRA. The country has the status of an observer. Such a move is common for EU member states' candidates. North Macedonia and Serbia, for example, are also FRA observers, and a number of activities already extend to those countries. Negotiators from the EU and African, Caribbean and Pacific community signed a new 20-year partnership deal. The agreement will succeed the Cotonou Agreement signed in the year 2000. The treaty has been adjusted to take into account the goals set by the Paris Agreement on climate change. The economic partnership agreements will remain unchanged, although they have been criticized for creating unbalanced trade relations between the EU and African countries. A new reception center will be built on the Greek island of Lesbos. This is what the EU Commission and the Greek government have recently agreed to. EU officials stated that the new centre will be fully aligned with EU standards and completed by early September 2021. This comes after the overcrowded Camp Moria burned to the ground in September. EU authorities also graded poorly Greece's handling of migrants in a recent report. That was all for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with another episode as ever on Tuesday at 9.30.